Good morning again. I, uh, how many people here over this last week kind of had a big transition of either school starting or school starting for a kid or something along like the fall has begun? Anybody? We're, uh, we're on the threshold of a pretty momentous moment, which begins tomorrow, when our youngest, Amelia, starts all-day kindergarten, and we will have both children in all-day school, Monday to Friday. I think I was experiencing some of the uh, nerves, though, because I woke up at like 4 this morning. So for my body, I'm on like, I don't know what time zone I'm on right now, but I'm here, and I'm present. I'm glad to be here. Uh, this last week, how many, how many grew up, Lou, another uh, hand raise here, how many grew up watching Mr. Rogers? Anybody? Oh my goodness, almost everybody, wonderful. Uh, similarly, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers, and this last week, Summer and I watched this new documentary on his life and work called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Has anybody seen that? I would highly encourage you to see it. It is fantastic. Um, and an incredible glimpse into an incredible man. Uh, he... Uh, he was revolutionary in the most gentle way possible, right? Uh, in fact, after watching the documentary, I think what struck me the most was how subversive Mr. Roger was. <laughs> um, he, what got him into uh, children's television was a response to what he was seeing as kind of the trash of TV out there with these increasingly fast-moving images and you know, kind of, even though it was cartoonish, like the violence of people hitting each other for laughs, and, and he thought, no, 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 these, these children are precious creations made in the image of God that have real emotions and feelings that need to be honored, that they need to be taught how to give voice to those emotions and feelings. Um, he took children seriously, um, but wasn't serious about it, and that was the brilliance of him. But his, the subversiveness of Mr. Rogers was... Uh, rather than railing uh, you know, or, or being loud and angry against the, what he saw in TV, he simply decided to create another way, right? An alternative to what was out there, to make something that was better than what was being offered. Uh, the other thing that, uh, about his life that's amazing is just how consistent. It, 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 he's a great example of someone, to quote Eugene Peterson, who really was quoting Frederick Nietzsche, who lived his life uh, in a long obedience in the same direction. Um, and the power of his life and of his work has impacted tons of people, most of this congregation, as I could judge by the hands. Um, yeah, so I, I, I finished the, the documentary with a sense of, uh, of respect for Mr. Rogers, but also this appreciation for how subversive he was. And it got me thinking about the book of Acts, because this is where we're going to spend our time this fall. I'm very excited to spend from now until Advent uh, walking through uh, some of the key parts of the book of Acts. Uh, and Acts, I think, is a book of subversion. <laughs> there's, there's a subversive power at work through the early church where they, they neither railed against the Roman Empire nor did they bow down and worship it. They, they lived this sort of third way, this alternative way of following Jesus that uh, was not primarily concerned with overthrowing the Roman gov government, but also, at times, uh, was contrary to it. And it was this, there was a creativity in how they lived their life and how they responded to this incredible reality of the resurrection of Jesus. 
So we're going to spend some time looking at this book. And I think uh, another way to think perhaps of, of what it is to be subversive um, as, as Christians is to be in the world, but not of the world. Perhaps that's how we can think of this call towards being subversive, right? to be in the world, but not of it. I, still, I saw that in Mr. Rogers, right? He engaged in this medium that he knew had power, but somehow was different, provided a different alternative way forward. And I think we see that in the book of Acts. I'm excited to, to dive into that. I would encourage you, uh, we're just going to look at the first 11 verses this morning, but to sit down, Acts is one of those books that is, um, I think, best read in large chunks. And if you can do it all the way through in one sitting, it's a just... It's a fascinating story. There's adventure, right? There's a shipwreck. There's miracles. People speaking in different languages miraculously. Um, it's people standing up to those in power. A community is born. It's, it's exciting. So read it through. Uh, I, think, I think you will appreciate it. So one of the ways that the book of Acts uh, is a subversive book or describes uh, the church as a subversive re- reality is the way that it views power. Power is a significant theme in the book of Acts, and power comes through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, uh, that's, those two things, power and the Holy Spirit, are often linked together. That when, when uh, Jesus or when someone else is talking about the Holy Spirit, they're also talking about the power that comes in the Holy Spirit. But it's a very different way of viewing power in a very different way of employing and using this power that they receive, which is one of the ways that this book is subversive. So the beginning of Acts is a, a turning point. Uh, Luke and Acts are both written by Luke, the, the, the writer of the, the Gospel of Luke, and he starts both books addressing it to this character named Theophilus. And so we know that Luke wrote both of these, and so they're, they're really meant to be taken together, Luke and Acts. And uh, you know, we, we often call this book Acts for short, uh, which really is short for Acts of the Apostles, describing the activity and the lives of those first Christians who had seen and walked with Jesus. But a lot of people have said, well, actually, it's probably more accurate if we called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because as we walk through the book, we see that, uh, that what empowers these people to live this way uh, is, in fact, the Holy Spirit, filling them with his power so that they can live in this subversive, alternative way to the culture around them. Uh, But I'd like to take it back a step even further, uh, as we take Luke and Acts all together, um, to say that Luke here, the the Gospel of Luke, is about the life, teaching, uh, and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. And that what we have in Acts is the continued work of Jesus, the continued acts of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, demonstrated in the ever-expanding church. But that's a way too long title, so we're just going to call it Acts. (laughs) But I think keeping in mind that this is a a continuous work that Luke wrote, reflecting on what Jesus has done. In the first part, in the Gospel, it's his earthly ministry, and Acts we can consider his heavenly ministry because Acts starts with the ascension of Jesus. I'm kind of giving away all of the the little parts that we're going to read in a second in the first 11 verses, but I want to set the stage well for us. So Acts is really the continued acts of Jesus in the power of his spirit through his church. 
And I talked about it, it, it coming at a turning point, right? The turning point is this resurrection and ascension. There's about 40 days here. And this is, this is the period that we cover in these first few verses, right after Jesus' resurrection. And it marks this turning point where Jesus had been with the disciples, ministering with them, walking around Galilee and Nazareth for three years. And then now he is no longer physically present with them. They're given the spirit, and they are entrusted with continuing his mission and his work in the world. And we are at a turning point in our church. Uh, we'll talk more about this after the service is over, but the, the green bean in its current form uh, is, is not going to be here after this fall. Um, we're, we're still working out some of the details, but it, it, this is going to be a turning point for us, right? This has been a significant identity piece for our church for the 14 years that we've been in existence. We've always been the church with the coffee shop right around the corner. And, um, and it's, there's so much to rejoice in as we look back over these 14 years. But this is, uh, this is a big turning point, a, a big, and, and it raises questions for us about, well, what does it mean for us to be the church? What, what, what is unique about us? How, how do we do church here? How do we be church here in this time? And I think that looking at Acts this fall is going to provide us a, a really good opportunity to make sure that we're asking good questions about how we do that, uh, how we discern what it means for us to be the church in Greenwood in this time in Seattle. Because a lot of people uh, think of Acts or think of the early church as this, this idyllic kind of, if only we could get back to the early church, right? If only we could slough off all the stuff that we've, uh, picked up over the centuries and over the years, and just get back to the pure form of the church in the early church. Well, if you'll read Acts, you'll realize like they weren't so pure. <laughs> there was all kinds of there was conflict, there were challenges, um, and I think one of the things that we'll see, and I, I hope this is something we can learn from together, is how responsive the early church was to the particular needs and situations that arose. There was no one magical form that the early the early church took. They they were responsive to the needs that presented themselves, to the challenges that presented themselves. And so I think for us, uh, this, is, this is a challenging season to, to think about this, this big shift that comes in our identity and in our, uh, the life of our church. How do we continue on as Christ church here in Greenwood? That's enough preamble. Let's read the Bible. So we're going to read the first 11 verses from chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the skies he was going when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Luke who recorded this pivotal time in the beginning of the church. As we study your word, would it go deep into our hearts? Would it not only change our minds, but would it change our hearts, our intentions, and our longings? That our thoughts and our longings and our actions and our words would all better and more reflect you. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So there's, there's a lot that happens there. I want to focus in uh, briefly on verse 8, which really becomes the, not just the, the theme verse for this passage, but really sets the stage for this entire book, this entire record of the, the early church. And it's this. This is Jesus responding to their question about, whether or not he's going to restore this kingdom to Israel right now. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the story of Acts is the story of these witnesses extending their witness starting in Jerusalem in a little room, and eventually, as Paul heads off to Rome, it's to the ends of the known earth at the time. And what got me excited is realizing that I actually looked at a globe to make sure that this is accurate. We're about as ends of the earth as you can get from Jerusalem. (laughs) Uh, Truly, it would be somewhere in the middle of the Pacific, but we're pretty close. Uh, And so to think that kind of the, the work that we're doing here, the life that we're living together here, is part of the fulfillment of what Jesus promised these first apostles, that the gospel would be preached and expanded and that people would bear witness to Jesus to the ends of the earth, even Seattle. That's exciting to me. So this this passage, I think there's, there's a few things to notice here. First is that it starts with grace. Grace is the starting point. I think when we're talking about the acts and the activity uh, we can, we can, our activist uh, mind and body can get going, right? We start like, all right, let's go do things for Jesus. The starting place is grace. The gift of the Holy Spirit is exactly that. It is given as a gift. And the only thing that is asked of the disciples is that they receive it. That is the only thing that is set at the beginning of this, the invitation to simply receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It starts with grace. And then there is both a deepening and an expanding of the gospel, of God's kingdom, through and in and through these witnesses. The deepening comes in the power of the Holy Spirit transforming their lives. And as we look over, uh, especially at some of the key characters like Peter and Paul, uh, over the course of the book of Acts, you see them change. They change their mind on who is eligible for the good news. Uh, Paul does a complete reversal, right? I mean, he goes from murdering Christians to being the biggest proponent of the church. Um, 
And so there's, there's this deepening power as the Holy Spirit uh, takes root deeper in their lives where their character is changed and their character is formed. There's a growth that happens. But it's not just an internal growth in the individual. It's also an expansion of the good news all over the world. And this is the story of the church. It started in Jerusalem with just a few people, and it's just ever expanded ever since. Even in Seattle. Uh, two other things that are, are important to note. One is that the foundation of this life, the foundation of this new church, uh, is the resurrection of Jesus. Right? It's important. Luke makes it very important that his readers understand that Jesus was giving convincing proofs for the fact that he, he didn't just appear to be alive or he wasn't just a, a floating apparition, but he truly had risen from the dead. That when he speaks about the power of the Holy Spirit, he actually knows a little something about power because he defeated death. Right, So there's some comfort and some hope that the early disciples take from the fact of the resurrection that helps them face the persecution. That's another thing we're going to see a lot of in Acts is that God uses really difficult circumstances to further the spread of the gospel. Uh, the disciples face some challenges, but they know that the ultimate thing to fear, death, is not something that they have to be afraid of because Christ is risen from the dead. The other thing that is, uh, is noteworthy in here, I alluded to this um, I love the disciples because they never quite get it. <laughs> uh, and that's encouraging to me because I'm confident that I also never quite. You guys, I know, have it all together, but I don't quite have it yet. And, and the disciples, you know, here they are. They're, they've experienced Jesus risen from the dead. And it says he's given them convincing proofs. And yet still they think that his coming kingdom is a political and a national kingdom for Israel and that it's going to come right now and that they're going to kick the Romans out and that there's going to be some sort of military force aspect to it and that Jesus is going to lead them on some horse and they're going to kick out the invaders and establish Israel again as this sovereign nation. And <laughs> if you read between the lines, I think you can hear a sigh in Jesus' response. <laughs> no, that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is a different kind of kingdom that is, is uh, already but not yet here. Right? It's, it's been inaugurated. It's been begun. But it's going to be furthered when the Holy Spirit comes into each one of you individually. And collectively, together, you all bear witness to me. You all do this subversive work. It's not, you're not going to overthrow the government. You're going to bear witness to me. And it's going to spread across the entire globe. This kingdom of God this, this, uh, that, that Jesus spoke to them about, this is what we prayed earlier when we prayed, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is anywhere where God's will is done. And we know from looking at the world that there are many, many places where that is not the case. And so we continue to pray, and the gospel continues to spread. In the, hopes, in the hope that one day Jesus will return as he went and renew all things. That is the hope that we have. So that's the kingdom vision of 
this early church, that it's not a, not a earthly kingdom. It's, they're not going to approach power the way the world approaches power. It's going to be more subversive, more subtle than that. It's a longer work, a long obedience in Christ's direction. So I just I found myself reflecting on how I think of my own life, how I think of my own faith. And do I really think of myself as part of this subversive kingdom of God at work in the world? Um, I think it's, it's pretty easy to simply be comfortable and say I'm in the world but not of it, but really be in it and of it, right? And full of it. And uh, Yeah. <laughs> but you and I, as followers of Christ, as those who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit just by grace, not through any work of our own, we are part of this subversive movement of, of the church in the world. And it's, it's, a, it's a challenging question, I think, to ask what that looks like. Because all of us, when we come together here on Sundays, we gather together, and then we are scattered to the four winds, right? And this is part of, actually, how the gospel spreads to all the corners of the earth, is in the very places where you all scatter during your week. And each one of us has to ask uh, where I am, where I spend my time, what does does it mean to be filled with the power of the Spirit here? What does it mean to bear witness to Christ, to be part of this subversive kingdom uh, at my school, at my work? I, uh, I mentioned that I, um, I, I like the disciples because they make me feel better about myself. <laughs> um, I don't think I share their same uh, illusions of a political kingdom. I don't think that's what I hope for, but I do recognize ways that I view kind of living out my faith that probably need to die in, in similar ways to how the disciples' vision of God's kingdom needed to die. Uh, and for me, one of them, and I'll just share this by way of example, but one of them is that I, I really do want to fix people. I want to, I want to be able to say the right thing or, or do the right thing and change somebody. And, um, and, and that is not the power that God has given me. <laughs> I don't think that's the power that God has given us. And I think that's a place where I've had to ask, what is the subversive kingdom way there? And uh, uh, surprise, surprise, I think it's the way of love. <laughs> it's not the way of fixing, but rather it's the more patient work of love. That's one example of where I've had to reflect on my own tendencies of, uh, of kingdom and power that need to die so that the spirit way of kingdom and power can grow. So think about where you're going to be I don't know, 10 a.m. tomorrow, 3 p.m. on Tuesday. Pick one. What, what's a creative, subversive way that you might engage that place and those people as a follower of Christ, as someone who has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, someone who doesn't have to fear anymore because we serve Jesus who conquered death, what might life as a follower of Christ look like there in a subversive sort of way? I, I had another thought that occurred to me about how, I mean, each one of us has to do some work to figure this out, right? I can't give a, a, 
you know, this is the one thing we, we can all do in our different places. Except, I think there is one thing we could all do <laughs> in our different places. Uh, and it comes from the book of James. And I think particularly in this moment in our world, in our culture, in our city, that this is a subversive kingdom way forward. And it's this. It's being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's a subversive act, right? We don't have to yell at people who are yelling and yell at them. That's a classic parenting move, right, is you yell at your kid to stop yelling, right? Don't do as I do. Do as I say. Um, I think in a culture and in a world that is full of noise and full of yelling and full of everyone wanting to be heard, that if we were a people, wherever we were, who were quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, that would set this subversive undercurrent that might be hard for people to name at first. But that would be this alternative way forward that reflects the priorities of the Holy Spirit and of the kingdom of God. There are many other ways, right? Part of the challenge, part of the work that we have to do is to consider the realities of our lives, the, the, the friendships that we have, the people we have, and in each place, in each encounter, in each instance, we're given the opportunity to think creatively and subversively about what does the kingdom of God look like here? And I, I'm excited to look through this whole book because I think we get different examples in different circumstances of what that looks like, what it looks like to, to live out this verse 8, this uh, being filled with the Spirit and bearing witness to Jesus wherever we are. So my prayer is that the Spirit fuels our imagination this week and in the weeks to come with all kinds of creative and subversive ways to live in God's kingdom.